Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where we feature champions in their respective industry from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that will inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to find out how to scale a business in an emerging industry. And Brian Gerber is going to walk us through that. Now, Brian is the founder and CEO of Hara Supply, the largest manufacturer of cannabis cones and combustibles in the world, producing over 100 million plus cones per month in the world's largest entities uh, like Jeter, Zitzi, OCB, and ZigZag. He's also, if that's not enough, he's the founder and CEO of a, of the four-time Inc. 5000 company, Hera Brands, which is a diversified cannabis accessory and lifestyle brand that designs and sells innovative products for consumers and industry partners in the overall smoking market. Excuse me. Brian, great to have you here, sir. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate you having me on. Now, I know you've got a big market, growing market, but who uh, would you say you serve? Definitely have two customers. We've got the direct-to-consumer side. We've got the end consumers. We've got, uh, on the B2B side, I've got tobacco companies. I've got cannabis companies. I've got retailers. I've got chains, smoke shops dispensaries, you name it, we deal with it. But your dealing with it is probably, I would imagine, solving problems for these people. So what are the problems, Brian, that you and your organizations end up solving for these people you just listed? So on the horror supply side, we are one of the first companies to really create infrastructure for the pre-roll category. And we went in more of a, as a solutions partner approach not a one size fits all. So we help guide uh, our customers on the different sizes of cones that come in, different types of tooling capabilities, customizations, different filter tip styles. We go into it with, what do you want to bring to market? We'll help you make that happen. Not here, let me sell you stuff that I thought about. And that's really on the solution side for the pre-roll category. And then on the horror brand side, we're innovating and pioneering smoking accessories. And we're, I always like to say that we're the Walmart ready brand that everyone's been waiting for. You know, our packaging squeaky clean, you know, we're not using weed leaves and Rasta colors all over everything. So we serve that conservative demographic, especially in that Bible Belt region where typically people don't want to bring in these types of products, but with our packaging and products, it's kind of a soft core approach to paraphernalia. Got it. Maybe you can help our listeners, Brian, understand how you go about solving those problems. Maybe if you could walk through maybe a, a case study or something for each of those two, those markets you mentioned and soup to nuts. How does your organization find these people? How do you go about diagnosing the problems? How do you end up solving them? Yep. So on the hard supply side for the pre-rolls for processors, that's mainly who we're dealing with brands, processors, growers, right? Uh, so uh, oftentimes people are either doing a ton of pre-rolls every month with very limited machinery. So very manual processes, step-by-step step. we come in and we help advocate for certain automation 
So we help guide you. We say, okay, we're, how many pre-rolls are you filling a month today using the non-automated equipment? Here's from our experience, the machines that do really well in your regions, because there's certain machines that deal better with humidity. So if you're in Florida, this machine does better for some reason there. If you're in California, less humidity, this machine does better over here. And we help guide the customer on what kind of custom tooling they're going to need for these, for this machine. And we guide them the entire process. So good inputs coming from us, great outputs. And in between is that automation. So that's how we help on the processing side and on the horror supply side. For on the horror brand side, oftentimes retailers are sitting on product that doesn't move. What we did was we said, hey, we're so confident in our products. Everything's guaranteed. We'll take it back if it doesn't move in like a 90-day window. Oftentimes that gives retailers, distributors, wholesalers a ton of confidence bringing in the brand. And what we do is oftentimes it sits on the shelf, doesn't move. So what we do is we leverage our direct-to-consumer social media and we drive traffic to retailers. So we geo-target our consumers that we've sold to online to go into stores to buy our products for instant gratification because oftentimes people want it that day now. They don't really want to wait the one, two, five days for shipping. So we help the retailers drive traffic to their stores. And we're one of the few companies that really knows how to do this effectively. And then on the processing side, we guide them through what types of machinery. So we're saving them months and months of research, hundreds of thousands of dollars in making the wrong machinery choice. So we're really guiding them into that solution, right? Yeah, it'd be interesting when we get a chance to hear about the kind of uh, team members you have on staff to solve all those issues. Now, yeah. you're, I realize that you're, if you will, in an emerging industry, but I know that you've got zillions of competitors, good, bad, and indifferent. Brian, tell us about how you, your organization's uh, differentiate yourself from all that competition. For sure. So on the hard supply side, what really differentiates us is that we own and operate our facilities. My college roommate, I went to George Washington University. RJ lives in India operating our facilities. We've got about 14 manufacturing sites with about 4,000 employees right now producing product. So that's the biggest thing. We're able to prioritize. We're able to shift production schedules. We're able to expedite things for certain customers or certain reasons. And everything's guaranteed. If you have an issue with a 3% rejection rate, we've replaced the product. Oftentimes, you're dealing with a middleman in this industry, like a mm -hmm. Custom Coast USA or a Futurola, for example. You're buying a one-size-fits-all model. If they don't have it, they're not going to be able to help you. For us, if the stock that I keep in my warehouse here doesn't work for you or your equipment, I'll go produce something completely custom tailored to you. And I'll be able to control from raw material to finished good to delivery, all vertically integrated. And that's the biggest difference for us is we're not only designing and manufacturing, but we're controlling the entire process from A to Z. And on the other side, your differentiation is? And on the horror brand side, we're innovating and pioneering products. So for that, we're basically taking kind of an old model and we're putting a new spin on a lot of products. So we're innovating where we can and duplicating for better pricing in other ways. So we're increasing margins for retailers and distributors, and then we're delivering them new innovative products that they've never seen before. Excellent. Excellent. I think now you've done a fantastic job. I know you've done a fantastic job explaining 
who it is that you serve, what the problems are that the market has that you're able to solve eloquently, how you put your competition in the dust. That's all clear to us. What I'd like to do now is shift hats a little bit, have you put on your business owner's entrepreneurial hat and walk us through the story of your business, Brian. Where did the idea come from? How did you build it? What successes can you point to? Maybe top of three, maybe a couple major failures or hiccups. Walk us through uh, business owner to business owner, what you experienced. For sure. So inception of the idea was New Year's Eve 2014 going into 2015. And I was sitting on a couch with two of my buddies and I said, hey, we need to do smoking accessories delivered in a box every month to end consumers. And RJ and was like, ah, I, I just don't see it. People go into stores to buy this kind of stuff. I'm not quite sure. So I said, let's take a flyer on it. Let's put up a website. Let's see what happens. So I graduated from GW May 18th, 2015. We launched June 1st, 2015. We put out our first 30 subscription boxes. That took days to pack. <laughs> and we were basically curating third-party branded products sure. into sure. a box and basically Dollar Shave Club for stoners, right? And 2015 was a huge subscription economy year. So we launched our first box. Everyone loved it. Three months later, I came up with a guest curated concept where basically smoke like Snoop Dogg for a month. So we would work with Snoop Dogg. He'd pick the items. We'd basically curate the box, deliver it to our customers, and you would smoke like him for 30 days. And that catapulted the subscription box. We went from 300 subscribers in month three to over 1,500 subscribers in month six. And that's where we took it. So it was basically smoke like X celebrity. And what we did was all limited edition custom curated products. And so we did that for about two years, worked with celebrities, musicians, professional skateboarders, you name it, we worked with them. And then we, about 15, 16 months into the business, I was like, okay, how are we going to keep this fresh? How are we going to keep this box going? And I was looking at Birchbox and Dollar Shave Club and I'm like, okay, they've raised a hundred million dollars. I don't think that's happening here. So how do I bootstrap this? to profitability, to scale. And so what we leaned on was product development. We needed to be the authority developing the gadgets. And so we realized the subscription box was our Trojan horse marketing outlet. We develop a product, we put it in the subscription box, we get feedback from thousands of consumers overnight. We take that data, if everybody loved it, we go to our distribution and retail partners and say, hey, we just launched this product, 10,000 people got it. <clears throat> Look at the feedback. It's all positive. You should put this into your retail and distribution network. And so we were really one of the first data-driven approaches to product development for paraphernalia. I, was, uh, I forgot to ask you early on if you remembered your hydration, and uh, but you did. <laughs> so we were one of the first data-driven approaches to product development. So people really... We're like, oh, wow, this is well thought out. Thousands of consumers already know about the product and the brand. This is a no brainer for us. We've got the margin. Let's start selling it. So that's how we started building our B2B side of the business. 
was through our Trojan Horse Marketing Outlet, which was a paid test market. The box was paid for by consumers for us to develop cool products. It was great. So that's what we've been doing now for about since 2015. How many years? Seven, almost eight now. So now we're developing a lot more stuff for mass market convenience stores. So that's what our new challenge has been lately, convincing, like I said, a lot of the conservative Bible Belt chains to bring in this stuff where historically they've said, oh, no, thank you. We're good. Now they're actually taking stuff in and we're really breaking down barriers, to be honest. Excellent. Excellent. You mentioned uh, this, this group of buddies sitting in the, sitting around thinking about this idea. Are, are, are they all still with you now? Have, yep. Tell us about some of your, tell us about each of those people and what they do for you. And then what are some of the other key hires, Brian, that you've been able to make over the years? Yep. So when we first started, the three original co-founders were myself, RJ and Henry. RJ and Henry managed the facilities overseas and I deal with the state headquarters. And then six months after we launched, we found our creative partner, Ty Tran, who was from traditional media, worked at Horizon Media, Havas, a bunch of really big marketing firms. And then a couple years later, we met our CMO and CTO, Angel, who comes from nutraceutical market and clothing and fashion. And so he deals with a lot of the e-com side, website stuff, all that technical side. And then recently we've brought in Shane Fairbrother, who's our director of sales and operations, who launched and started, founded the Medtainer business, which was like a plastic medical grade grinder that he sold millions of dollars worth. And then recently we brought in Randall Elkins, who is our VP of product development and brand development. And he comes from Boundless and Focus and a bunch of other big vaporizer brands. So that's the core team, I would say. We've got other people. We're at about 75 people in this building now. When we first started, obviously, we were a couple people. Right. Uh, Tell us a bit about, give some insight into your management uh, technique. I, I know you've got a lot of geography to cover worldwide and time zones and all that sort of thing. So how do you manage the business uh, day to day, week to week, month to month, Brian? 24 seven. Yeah. It's, we deal with the India time zone. RJ sometimes is in the UK. Sometimes he's in New York. So we're dealing and we just started launching our products into Europe. So now I'm dealing with France, Barcelona, Spain, Germany, Italy, South America, Chile, all over the place. So it's, Whenever is convenient for the customer, to be honest, that's really what it is. If I need to get up at 5 a.m., that's getting up at 5 a.m. So typically with India, we try to get the meetings done in the morning because that's their evening. And then by the time we go to sleep and they wake up, we get updates by the time we're at the office. So we work opposite that way. And then for Europe, we're sometimes in the same time zone or so we get to work with them throughout the day. And then, yeah, we work with East Coast, West Coast honestly everywhere thailand india asia like it's everywhere now so talking about uh now of uh, jump forward about 10 years maybe five to ten years tell tell, tell our listeners about your vision where do you see your business uh being uh five ten years from now so i believe that we are going to be the category leader for what we're calling the green zone opportunity in convenience stores today 
we're going to be the authority and the number one brand in C stores for paraphernalia products on the B to C on the horror brand side and on the horror supply side, I believe we're going to nearshore the manufacturing here in the next couple of years. And we're going to be producing a lot of the stuff here in the States. And we'll be not only vertically integrated on our own horror brands products, but we'll be still producing. We're going to, we're launching a cartridge factory out of India. We just started our own injection mold facility out of India for plastic tubes and other products. So we're basically pulling everything out of China that this entire industry relies on and bringing it to India. I love that vision. Now, you mentioned early that other people in different industries that are e-commerce oriented to some extent have raised $100 million and so forth and so on. Yep. You guys have used nickels and dimes to get where you are, but maybe you've had an investor or two or have you been bootstrapped the whole way through? Yeah, so up until 2018, so for the first three years, we bootstrapped everything. Then we raised between 2018 and 2019 from a seed round to a series A, we raised about 3.25 million. And then we raised another 800 grand. So now we're at a little over 4 million in total funding, but we're an eight figure company and almost nine figures here and very profitable. So yeah, I, I don't want you to get, I don't want you to get too detailed. But a lot of business owners listening to you now are thinking, ah, geez, you're giving away all that equity. So have you been able to maintain good equity shares for the founders, Brian? Yes, the founders control majority and we control the board. Congratulations. Congratulations. What would you say were the top one or two major mistakes you made in building your business? And, and then what did you learn for those big, from those big mistakes? Moving to California okay. was an interesting experience. It's a different beast building a business in California compared to the East Coast. So that while we made a ton of connections and networked the shit out of it, it was a lot of things thrown at us that we were not prepared for. And so I think understanding the business environment prior to popping down not just from the allure of the weather and the celebrities and all of that, understanding the markets. I think another big mistake was while remaining flexible in your early days is extremely important for growth and pivoting. I think for us, we may have had a little bit too much of a shiny object syndrome at certain times and focusing on core competencies and really scaling scalable line items is important and not saying, oh, wow, they're, they appear to be making so much money doing this as a competitor. Really, if you look under the hood, most likely they're not really making that much money. And you create these stories and perspectives and it's really not true and just stay in your lane, focus on your own shit and you'll do well. Excellent, excellent. That was very articulate and I'm sure resonated with many people listening to you right now. So let's talk about right now, for fourth quarter, I guess we're at the fourth quarter, 2023. What's holding you back right now, Brian? I can't make enough cones fast enough. <laughs> for us, we're self-funded at this point. So everything we do, we're cash flow positive. Honestly, 
it's coming down to people, I think, now. Processes, systems, things that we're like, oh, we'll get to eventually need to be gotten to today. And I think for us, we tried bringing in this like middle management level and it, it slowed us down. It caused a lot of things to fall through the cracks, a lot of red tape where we're so nimble, we can make decisions in five seconds where it was starting to be like, wait, so we made a decision here and then it got disseminated, but it didn't go anywhere after that. So we actually restructured our core team a bit and really found people who were willing and wanting to be more of a jack of all trades as opposed to a siloed, this is your one responsibility. I need people who can deal with multiple things at one time. Yes, indeed, indeed, indeed. There'll be a time for making, getting more specialized, I think. Tell, I forgot to ask you, I'm curious about the core values that, uh, that you guys put together. Have they pretty much been the same for the last uh, decade or have you seen them evolve? How, what are the values and how hopeful are the values you have, Brian, in recruiting and building people and dealing with your suppliers and customers? Yeah, I think for me personally and the company, we're one of the few folks that we do what we say and we say what we do. And that is extremely important. There is a lot of appeasing done in business, I feel, and we don't do that. If there's an issue, we come clean. If it's great news, we come clean. And for us, in terms of core values, we've gone from DC to New York to LA. Now we're headquartered in Vegas. So we've had to change a lot of the team and a lot of people don't want to move and relocate. So we've had to keep instilling those core values and just honesty, integrity, like ethics, loyalty, right? We're so relationship-based. And I think if you, and I preach this to my sales guys, if they don't buy something from you, it's because they don't like you, right? Because we don't get beat on price, right? If you never get squeezed, they're not buying because they don't jive with the personality. And it's so important. Customers come to town, we take them to dinner. We go to a convention in another state, we host happy hours for customers, right? It's a family. And we run this like a family business. And people have life, everyone's got shit going on. So we're very understanding and weave and bob and weave and bob. And that's what we do. We're that that's how we've been successful. I think it, it it's treating our customers like family and owning it when we're bad and when praising when we're good. That's excellent. Brian, how can various people get a hold of you? Yes. So for the Har supply side, it's Brian, B-R-Y-A-N at harsupply.com. And then that'll go to all my inboxes. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So I am thinking that maybe there's a question that I should have thought of and asked you, Brian, that I didn't, but you know what the question is. And what is that question? And what's the answer? Or something would give huge value to our listeners. <clears throat> What is the question or? Yeah. Yeah. I'd like you to pose a question that I didn't think of and answer it, folks. That's a great question, Bill. 
You're not the only person that have that has gotten to that point and say, I don't know of anything. Now, Max and I talked about the industry that you're in ha having a, a long past that requires requires some nimbleness. And maybe there's a question in that space, Brian. I would say, how are we dealing with accounts receivable in the cannabis industry? Because everyone is hurting right now for cash. And all of our customers come to us and ask for better terms, better prices, better everything, right? And I always tell them that I'm the lowest cost in your cog, the cone, right? Beating me up for a half a cent every week is not going to save your bottom line at the end of the year. And so we are basically flexible with certain things. However, the with the cost of capital as it is today and with the sentiment of the, the Safe Banking Act not going through for the seventh time here, mm -hmm. be careful with giving terms out in this industry and just keeping a close eye on the AR and having real conversations with customers about what is the reality and having those difficult conversations because sometimes it's hard for them to come clean, but basically just working with customers instead of shutting the door and not shipping product and cutting off everything is not totally the way to go. Certain customers possibly, but it, it, it's always a conversation. So I think it, it's, crawl, walk, run when you're dealing with terms and AR and all this, especially in emerging industry, because there's turnover left and right, and you never know who's going to end up owning the debt or the business or whatnot. That was very articulate. I was going to ask you a bit about receivables uh, a little bit earlier, but you ended up answering the question anyway. So thank there you, Brian. Go. I appreciate your candor with us today. It's been spectacular. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate you having me on. So everybody, in closing, let's focus on the single fact that our businesses do not become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as a result of the owner first creating a visionary strategy. Number two, having a management system to execute that strategy. And number three, leveraging high performance teams. You can get your hands on those three things. Just go to getbillsgift.com. So thanks for listening. Brian, thanks for sharing your time with us today. Of course.